Hi, it's John from CEO Raider. I was just having a, a wonderful time recording this podcast, and I did the playback. And I don't know how, how many of you have seen the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey, Stanley Kubrick. It's a, it's a sci-fi classic. And uh, th there's a scene where uh, Gary Lockwood's character exits the spaceship and goes out to its outer space to make a repair. And the only thing you, you, you hear as, as the viewer is heavy breathing. And a little trivia fact, uh, the, that, that particular scene, the, the breathing that you hear is uh, Stanley Kubrick recording his voice into the microphone. And they use the, his voice in that particular scene. So that's where that comes from. And it's just, it's, you know, sometimes I get excited and I, and I breathe heavily. And uh, this was one of those podcasts where occasionally I'll, I'll record this thing on, on a phone if something sort of hits me spur of the moment and I'm not uh, in, in front of the, the podcast equipment, which was what would have happened here. So it just sounded uh, awful. It sounded like a, a bad uh, B-grade horror movie or, or that 2001 scene that I referenced. So in any event, uh, welcome to the CEO Raider podcast. We're now available on, so we've been available on uh, iTunes for some time, SoundCloud. And as of today, we're available on Google Play and Stitcher as well. So today I wanted to, to spend a little bit of time talking about product pricing. And I'm, you know, I, I guess I'm speaking primarily to entrepreneurs, but also to product managers and, and those those people that are tasked with uh, with introducing new product in into an existing market even if, if you, you know you, you work for an established company and so I'll just I'll share some of my experience with you my experience is that entrepreneurs typically always underprice their product and service and I'm speaking you know for the most part Technology. That's where my experience lies in, in software and services. I'm thinking back to my days as an investment banker and my days when I would look to acquire companies. And invariably, entrepreneurs would underprice their, their products. Whether it was, uh, you know, in the old days when you would have an upfront uh, license revenue model. I'm not sure how many of you guys remember that, but, you know, uh, SAP would charge you know five million bucks, two million bucks for license, three million bucks for maintenance and services, and the two million bucks on the license side would be due upfront at contract signing. And then Salesforce.com uh, popularized the pay-as-you-go model, subscription model, software-as-a-service cl slash cloud-based delivery, pro rata rev rack, pay-as-you-go. And um, I haven't seen numbers, but certainly, you know, startups today, most every existing company, I'm not sure that there are many left that still operate off of the, the old upfront license revenue model. Most everybody is selling their wares through a, a subscription-based model. But getting back to underpricing products and services, it's important that, excuse me, it's important that entrepreneurs price their products to value. So... You know, it's, it's an easier exercise to do so if your product or service is just, you know, a newer, better, faster, cheaper version of 
an existing product or service in market. You could use that existing product or service, the incumbent's product or service, as a proxy as to where to price yours. As I say, if you're just cheaper, a little bit better, faster, you offer your product or service right at the incumbent's level, plus or minus a few degrees, and you know you're probably at the at the right pricing level. It's more difficult when you're rolling out a product or service that's new to the market where you're defining the market. And in that case, I think it's important to experiment with pricing, which is kind of what we're doing now at, at CEO Raider, where there's not really an incumbent I can look to. I mean, there are other fintech companies that sell into the capital markets, but one that has a, a model like ours that provides information a similar set of information like we do just doesn't exist. So we're defining the market and we're testing and learning, testing and learning, iterating as we go. You know, there, there, are, there are a couple of ways you could think about pricing, I think. So one would be, let's say you sell a product into your customer base and your product helps customers save money. So less of a re- revenue generator, you know, although you could, I guess you can make the case on either side. Uh, so your, your, your product is a, is a, is a cost saver to your customer. So let's say in a given quarter, you save your, you know, customer X, you save them a hundred thousand dollars and you and the customer sort of, you know, agree on that number. They're, they're working with you they're They like you, they're helping you shape, shape the pricing equation. So you save them a hundred thousand dollars. And at $100,000, if you take, call it a third, 33000 bucks, if you take thirty-three for yourself, and at 33000 of revenue from that customer, given the cost of sales associated with it, cost of goods sold, given the sales and marketing effort that it took to, to get in the door, given the go-forward uh, you know, maintenance expense, customer service expense, factor in a little bit of expense for upselling, you know, so you know the upfront implementation costs, the cost incurred up to the point of sale, and then sort of the go, cor- the go forward cost. So if you were to take those two sets of expenses and match them up to that 33,000, what would that, what would that imply for the operating profit line? And then you could just sort of play with your unit sale levels, right? You, you create a model, assume different unit sale levels in, in the out quarters, in the out years, assume, you know, whatever your assumptions are in terms of associated maintenance costs, cost of maintaining the product, rolling out new features and functionality, cost of upsell, so on and so forth. You play with those variables and those unit sale levels, and then you can sort of figure out what the, you know, the associated, associated operating profit, after-tax profit, cash flows will be for that customer. And you could use that as a proxy for other customers in the base. That, that's, that, that's one way. And, and similarly, you know, I stuttered a bit when I, when I gave that example. I was sort of thinking out loud, and what I was thinking was you could also apply a similar model to revenue side. So you sell a product to a customer, and there's agreement around, hey, you helped us, the customer, generate an incremental, you know, tangible $100 million of revenue in the quarter. And so, you know, it worked the same way. If we helped you generate $100 million, you know, 
if we were to take x of that 100, this is how it would flow through our P&L, and you could sort of model that. So that's that, that's one way to go about it. And and by the way, not not to pick on entrepreneurs, because they're not the only ones guilty of, of underpricing products and services. I can think of I can think of uh, one company in the information services space, and it's, it's not my former employer, but a company that, that dominates its particular market. Outstanding product. And it, from my perspective, they, they drastically underpriced their, their offering. So it's not just the small entrepreneur who's uh, stretched for time that, that's guilty of underpricing their, their offerings. It's, it's all companies of all, of all sizes. There's, just, there's not a lot of discipline and rigor around the pricing equation is what it, is what it boils down to. You're trying to figure out how, how to optimize pricing such that you maximize revenue and profitability to yourself, but that doesn't mean price gouging. Uh, you you, you want to maximize revenue profitability to yourself over time, so that implies not underpricing, but it also implies not charging so much that the customers, you know, they'll work with you, but they're not thrilled with working with you, and then you've, you sort of put a cap on the revenue opportunity because you haven't generated any goodwill. Oh, there's minimal goodwill. Or there's a little bit of bad will, negative goodwill. So it's as much art as it is science figuring out where that optimal level is. Um, particularly if it's a if it's a sales cycle where you have regular contact with the decision makers within the customer organization, because then there's some give and take. You know, there are a lot of um, Pricing methodologies, pricing equations that you'll find in academia around price elasticity and you know where to maximize pricing, blah, 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 blah. and a lot of that has to do with um, pricing products where you're not you're not in direct contact with the with the customer. You're not in contact with the customer such that there's an open dialogue. Let me put it that way. So you're buying iPhones, you're in direct contact with the customer if you're Apple. You can see the number of purchases and so, so on and so forth. You can get plenty of real-time data. But it's a little bit different you know, if you're thinking about enterprise sales and you're in front of a, a customer, or if it's more of a consultative sale or a service-oriented sale, where you can have an open dialogue with the customer and really try to figure out you know, where the needs are, where you can push, maybe where you can't push. Uh, because the risk is... If you don't have an open line of communication with the customer, then there's there's the risk of opportunity cost. You know, did did you not fully understand the customer's problem? Uh, were you not flexible such that you left money on the table for yourself and for the customer in terms of the ROI you would help them generate because you weren't you weren't listening, and so you, as a result you suffered a significant opportunity cost. And that's sort of unknowable unless you're you have a you know an open and regular regular and frequent dialogue with with your customer. So that's something to consider, and that's why I say it's as much art as it is science. But you you want to optimize your your, your pricing such that you can maximize that that profitability to yourself uh, while enabling the customer to generate an ROI for herself, while putting enough dollars in your pocket such that. Not so, not so that everybody can go out and buy a new car. I mean, you want to treat your, treat your employees well. 
but you want to have significant discretionary capital left over such that you could deploy that capital back into the product, particularly in the world of technology, because I'm, I'm sure many of you have seen the, the, the story before uh, when companies, particularly in private equity situations, when companies try to squeeze every last ounce of profitability out of a product line. And as a result, you know, it may be a product that's sort of semi-stale, is in need of a refresh, and you opt to squeeze every last last dollar out of that product line, and as a result, you just accelerate its decline. And sometimes people get too smart for themselves. They get a little too cute. I'm talking about management teams and particularly private equity-owned companies uh, who don't do it well. And uh, you think you're going to manage the, the decline of a particular product or even a company profitably. And what ends up happening is you accelerate the decline. And... Uh, things get bad a whole lot sooner than what you had modeled. That's the risk. And oftentimes those semi-stale products can be, uh, with a little bit of investment and a lot of focus, time, and effort. So a lot of people investment, a little bit of capital investment. Uh, those things can, those product lines can be freshened up and you could accelerate organic revenue growth or turn it from a negative revenue growth curve to a positive organic revenue growth curve. Sometimes a little TLC is, is what's re required. Uh, but what, what you'll find when, you know, in these negotiations with customers is that there'll be pushback on, on price and it's incumbent upon the entrepreneur or the salesperson to help the customer to understand that discretionary capital to the vendor post-sale, post-expenses, that, that profit, again, not all of it's going to go into the vendor's pocket. A significant amount of it is going to be redeployed into the product line to keep it fresh and to add you know, more value to the product line, to help the customer generate more ROI. So the customer is going to see that dollar, maybe 30, 40, 50 cents, maybe more, of that dollar of discretionary capital is going to be reinvested into the product line and it's going to pay dividends back to the customer. But it's incumbent upon us as entrepreneurs to educate the customer to that effect. And then to follow through. I mean, you could talk all you want, but then you have to you have to show them. If you tell them what's going to happen, them being the customer, and then demonstrate it through through execution, and then remind them, here, hey, this is what we said we were going to do. We executed. Here's the output. Then that sort of reinforces everything. Look forward to speaking with everybody next time.